Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Micah Martin, the Director of Research at Diamond Hill. Micah has been a guest on the podcast multiple times, covering such diverse topics as African swine fever and the potential for beef shortages during the pandemic, neither of which are very uplifting topics, but they are important nonetheless. Recently, Micah was named the Director of Research at Diamond Hill, overseeing the team of analysts that provide analytical information for both equity and fixed income investors here at the firm. Today, we'll discuss Micah's new role and explore some examples of how the analyst team approaches their companies and the process of evaluating these companies. As we continue to work through these unprecedented times, I ask for your understanding for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe and stay healthy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Micah Martin. Micah, I want to welcome you back to the podcast. It's good to have you back here. Good to be back, Doug. Thanks for having me. The last couple of times you were on the podcast, uh, you left me with a less than uplifting feeling as we discussed things like African swine fever and potential protein shortages during the pandemic. We've moved past that. Uh, so hopefully this time will be a little bit lighter uh, as we're discussing your new role as the director of research. So before we get into some of the details about you know how Diamond Hill looks at research and, and some of the process that you guys go through, talk to me about you know the the thought process that went into determining the creation of this role and how you re- approach your responsibilities. Yeah, uh, it's a good question, and, and happy to be back, Doug. I always think you do a great job with these. Um, as I as I think about as the creation of the director of research role, I, I've been in the role now for about five months or so starting um, June 1st. And uh, it's been a, the kind of the idea behind it was as the organization grew, continued to expand, um, kind of added more, added more strategies and more uh, complexity to the business, kind of the management side of the research team. A lot of people were wearing a lot of different hats and there was a lot of different moving pieces. So essentially the idea behind the creation is to simplify the structure uh, and allow people to better focus on their portfolio man. You had different portfolio managers that were in kind of people manager roles and different things. And it was working okay, but the idea is to simplify and uh, better focus and kind of align um, the people management role and kind of that kind of research lead role um, with and let the portfolio managers spend a lot of their time focusing on on portfolio management. And that was a, that was a key driver. Uh, there are a variety of reasons, but that was a definitely a key driver behind behind the creation of the role. And I have a you know my background is I, I really enjoy researching stocks. Obviously, it's, it's what I've chosen to make my career. But I also in my previous life was a teacher and, and enjoyed the conversations with the team and enjoy aspects of working with people to kind of um, help them improve and get better and, and make us as an organization stronger. So as far as the latter part of your question, as far as how I'm uh, addressing the role, again, it's been five months, so it's still relatively early days, but probably the way I've been attacking it has been relatively more, uh, relatively methodical probably would be the best way of looking at it. So coming in setting up conversations with everybody, uh, all the equity PMs, all the fixed income PMs, all of the um, equity research associates and analysts all over the firm and calling a large number of ex-employees and just asking very open-ended questions about how can Diamond Hill, uh, what do we do well? Uh, What do we, and then where can we improve and kind of getting as many opinions and thoughts 
as possible coming into the role. Uh, coming in as a, as a learner has been my goal in this whole process and uh, make, a, make it uh, more smooth for people, allow better focus and simplify has been the overwhelming focus of, of my time. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And that one of the things that you bring up um, that maybe people don't think about as much is that, you know, we have analysts and we had sector leads. And, and one of the things that, you know, was part of their responsibilities, as you said, was the, the people management. Uh, and I think um, knowing, knowing most of them as I do, they want to do, as you were saying, they want to focus on looking at companies. They want to focus on analyzing. And, you know, the, the people management part of that, I think, takes away from that. Um, so to have that taken off of their their plate, I think, allows them to focus on what they really, really want to do. Is that is that a fair assessment, you think? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a major reason behind, you know, getting rid of the sector teams. Um, yeah. So just kind of simplifying things, you know, you know, we had a couple portfolio managers and again, it was working OK. It wasn't, you know, wasn't the end of the world, but um, it, I, I thought it was a little bit suboptimal to have, a, you know, we had a couple portfolio managers who were also sector leaders who also had a sleeve in the research fund and who also uh, had like a coverage area and had people management responsibilities. Whereas now they're portfolio managers and that's their job. And that's where they can focus their time and think that's, that's the best structure for clients and, and for the, for the team. So yeah, just dramatically simplifying and hoping, you know, to, to develop a, you know, increasingly collaborative and kind of minimize any conflicts of interest and, and focus, you know, another example of a decision was, to have the, the domestic team, which at one point was also doing international names, to have the international team, um, to move our international names over to the international team to work, to follow and keep updated. And then for our domestic team to focus on domestic names and just simplifying much of the, the team structure that simply was an output of growing. I mean, we've had a, a lot of growth over the last decade and just getting organized around some of that growth in a way that would allow people to do what they really love doing and minimize any uh, aspects that, uh, that were taking a lot of time that weren't really value add to, to those individuals and, and that kind of thing. So let's dive into to analyzing companies. Um, so, you know, there's no cookie cutter methodology because each sector, each company brings its own unique attributes that may only apply to that specific company or to that that industry or sector. So can you walk me through some examples of, of how Diamond Hill as a firm is able to bring kind of a unique perspective uh, to analyzing and evaluating companies? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good question. And, and I know we were, obviously I knew we were talking about this a little bit in advance. And so I, you know, trying to think about it. And I would say that it, I don't think that there's probably any single action that we do as a firm that is unique in and of itself. I think, I mean, it's a, it's a hyper competitive business, obviously. I mean, you have, you know, a declining number of U.S. public companies, at least, you know, until the summer with a lot of IPOs, but you, you know, have the you know, number of companies in the Wilshire 5,000 dropping from 7,000 to 3,500. And then you have the number of investors and amount of information growing, growing quite a bit too. So it's, it's a very, very competitive U.S. actively traded institutional domestic equities is a, is a competitive field there's a lot of random things that people do to, to follow it and, and get up to speed and, and understand different things. But when I would think about Diamond Hill specifically, I think about it, it's not necessarily a unique action, but I would say it's, it's a combination of, of three things that we try to do to uh, add value to clients. And when we think about research and, and investing, and I would say it's the, 
a mixture of the uh, quantitative. Obviously, at some level, you're looking at earnings and, and revenue and you know understanding what the cash flow is of the company. Uh, and then qualitative, where you're you know understanding the culture and the management team and um, the competitive dynamics and thinking long term and being creative around both the upside to a company and also the downside, what can go wrong, trying to think about that. And then also the third uh, aspect is the psychological factors when, you know, I think to be successful, there has to be some element of opportunism when, when the market's crashing and, and being, uh, having the psychological fortitude to, to buy when everyone else is selling. And I think the combination of those three things, I think almost like a sports team, you can't, if your offense is really good in football, but if your defense and special teams are terrible, you know, it's very hard, hard to win. Um, but sometimes the combination of a variety of different things can really help put you in a, in a good spot. So, Micah, let's drill a little bit into uh, those three aspects that you were talking about. And maybe look at some examples, if you would. So the first one is, I mean, you got to read the filings. And I think it's kind of I've even heard some investors over the last you know few years say well there's no edge anymore in in filings or 10ks or, or proxy statements and uh i i would say you know it's very difficult to make it a stock recommend and i'm mainly talking about you know these examples long recommend we also have a short business as well but just to keep things simple on the relatively short podcast on the from the long side there are uh, it's very difficult to make a, 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 rec a recommendation or make an investment solely based on reading a, a 10K. But a lot of investing, um, kind of how we view it, we don't buy or sell a lot of stocks is, is almost from the negative art, what to avoid. And I think when you're looking at a, a 10K, you can, it's an incredible the amount of things in there that are little, little combinations of little yellow flags about how a company thinks, about how its company culture does. So, um, you know, it, it's the primary source is the 10K. And often now I read the proxy statement first, proxy statement and the 10K uh, for the companies in my coverage. And it's it's the primary source and you have to start there. I think I think C.S. Lewis said something about um, when, you know, student, he was a tutor of Plato, um, the Greek philosopher. And he said, all of his students just wanted to read books about Plato as opposed to actually reading Plato, the actual primary source. And I think um, it's easy to kind of sit back and read articles about companies or different things as opposed to kind of do, doing the deep dive in there. So there's lots of interesting things you can see, you know, the, starting with the proxy, you look at the, you know, what's the management ownership, what's the tenure, the number, you know, looking at how are they compensated. Uh, it's amazing. The companies that are compensated based on revenue tend to be more acquisitive. Uh, which is, you know, common sense if you look at that or, or EPS, it's often a lot of share purchases and, you know, we look for, you know, return on capital type of metrics. Um, you look for adjusted, just the metrics in that regard. Uh, you know, you try to get a feel for the culture in the proxy statement. I read one the other day where the chairman of a company who's a billionaire, the company paid almost 1.5 million for personal use of the company jet for him last year. <laughs> and it just, it tells you, you're looking for more negative clues about the company culture and maybe you're almost looking for reasons not to invest in some of these things. And so you know, the proxy is really viable and the 10K, you're, you know, you're looking for, are the non-GAAP adjustments really aggressive? Uh, what's going on with joint ventures? That's often an area people, you know, hide a variety of different things in there with the you know, operating margins where joint venture income is 100% operating margin and they'll include that in their operating margin. What are their assumptions around various accounting items? 
Are there footnotes in the back about restatement, sometimes tax credits as an offset to SGNA, all kinds of different things. And then there's also uh, positive things as well. Sometimes, oh, this company owns 20,000 acres of land. Oh, that's interesting. Or this company bought a home builder, had land they bought in California in the 1970s. Well, probably their book value is somewhat understated if they bought land in California in 1972 or something like that. So you're just kind of looking for clues. And then I would say the last thing I do in that kind of initial filing look is on the on the front of every 10K, there's there's the address of the company. So often you'll pull it up on Google Maps and just look at it. And Google is unbelievable and Google Maps is unbelievable. And, um, you know, there's not like a right or wrong answer about where what kind of headquarters to have or where it should be. But there is a cultural difference between a company that's headquartered in, you know, the Manhattan Midtown skyline and then a, a company headquartered in a town of 10,000 in Wisconsin. There, there are cultural differences there to kind of get an understanding uh, of the company. I would say after that kind of initial deep dive of the proxy and the 10K, and sometimes looking at previous 10Ks, proxies, you a lot of you can eliminate a lot of names um, from kind of that kind of funnel of, of ideas. But then if it's interesting after that point, then you can, then it starts the really fun part of the deep dive of, of reading. So, you know, you go on Amazon and look and see if there's any books about the company, the founder, you know, Sam Walton made in America, the, the Home Depot book, um, excuse me, made, made from scratch and in the every, everything store by Bezos, you go through and, uh, you know, try and find a 10K from 10 years ago, see if anything's changed, find a proxy from 10 years ago, see if anything's changed. Uh, you, the, one of the most interesting things that I've done that has been really a, a strong value add to me personally in my research has been industry magazines. And, and many of these, I would say, aren't, aren't riveting reading necessarily. So like Floor Focus magazine, Builder magazine, Egg Industry magazine, um, Kitchen Bath and Cabinetry, Global Gypsum, et cetera. Um, you can, the amount of information in some of those is just extremely valuable. There's been, there was one time in one of those magazines that, um, you know, it was a $40 annual subscription to it. And by reading those, those um, magazines, we, we didn't recommend, we didn't initiate a position because there was something, there was a concern that every single one of those issues talked about this topic in this industry. And so we, it kind of made us nervous. And so we didn't, we didn't make a long recommendation in it. and we should have made a short recommendation based on it. But by, by reading that $40 subscription, it saved well, millions of dollars of, of client capital just by um, kind of paying more attention to what the industry is saying, not what Wall Street is saying, but what the people that are um, installing floors or, um, you know, have egg, egg farms in their backyard, what, what kind of stuff they're, they're reading about. Then um, kind of the last kind of deep dive of, of reading is uh, if, if it's really getting interesting, often we'll go back and look at every conference call or transcript for for as as much as available over 15 years, um, 20 years, however long it, however long um, we can go back, and kind of the idea is to kind of get an understanding of of management, how they, because uh, it's always interesting. It's almost like reading a story where you can go back, especially with housing. That was my background covering housing. So, I, before we bought any housing name, you go back and start in like 2003 and read all the conference calls and see how bullish or excited they were going into it how they handled the housing crisis, what are the kinds of things that they say and how they came through it. And you take maybe two or three days and just go through, 
you know, years of conference calls and you get a really good feel uh, for the company um, in that when doing that, something like that. And you also get a feel for you know, the kind of questions investors ask and, and what, what's important to people. Have they kept their goals? Just doing a really deep dive in that regard. And then at that, after that point, uh, you have a really good understanding after reading the industry magazines and the industry uh, you know, you resources, the, the conference calls, you know, a wide, wide number of 10Ks and proxy statements, you have a pretty good feel for what's going on in the, in the industry, at least at a high level. And then, then you start Googling, you know, Google, Google is our friend. And the amazing amount of free stuff on the internet that you can find is, is unbelievable. I mean, um, Amazon bestseller lists are awesome for products because they update every hour. Um, you can, you know, if a company says, oh, our, you know, widget XYZ is really a strong, you know, strong product in this category. As soon as they say that, you go to Amazon and look up what are the best sellers in toasters or something. And if it's not, I mean, it's updated on Amazon every hour. And, and if it's not, you know, their brand is one through five on the Amazon hourly bestseller list for toasters, you know, they're, you know, there's some legitimacy to it. If, if they don't even show up, you think, okay, well, you know, maybe they either sell somewhere else or they're, you know, kind of talking, talking their book, you know, a little bit. Uh, you Google the CEO, you know, CEO's name, the founder's name. Uh, what are they, you know, are they, are there any accusations? How, how public are they? Do they like, you know, super fancy things? Are they part of nonprofits? What, what just kind of learning about kind of the, the culture of the business. And then uh, usually what I like doing and we encourage, and there's a number of people at Diamond Hill on the, on the research team that do it as well, is they go, they go visit the company, talk to the management team in their offices, one-on-one, -on -one, not, not as part of like a sell-side um, roadshow tour where, you know, you're kind of getting the best of, um, I remember our retail analyst a long time ago, uh, an old retail analyst said that he would always go to the retail store before the Wall Street tour the night before and everyone was there, you, you know, you had all the cleaning crews there, everything was getting it ready. So there's value just kind of doing it on your own um, and not necessarily getting the sanitized version of it, but going to the company. And a lot of people, I've heard investors say they don't like doing that uh, because they, the management team has, is biased positively and, and clearly, you know, they are. But again, a lot of times what you're looking for is kind of looking for the the neg you're almost looking for reasons to say no um, versus going to, you know, go to a headquarters and the management team says, oh, everything is awesome. And then you go buy the stock. That's not how you would make a recommendation. So, I mean, an example is one company a couple of years ago uh, always talked about how low cost and efficient they are at their, you know, they're really low cost and a strong focus on cost. And that was, you know, a big deal in all their conference calls and, and everything. And then, so I went and visited the headquarters and you walk in and there's this, you know, it's the fanciest place I've ever been in my life. You know, there's this huge <laughs> fountain, all, you know, this courtyard of plants and like a garden and artwork on the walls and super fancy leather couches. And you walk in this huge building and you think, okay, you know, they're maybe they're cost conscious, but maybe not as cost conscious as, as they're trying to, trying to pitch necessarily. And just kind of gives you a little more color. Whereas, you know, another one, another, you know, name we own, Calmain, Calmain Foods is, you know, they talk about being low cost. And when I went to Jackson, Mississippi to visit their headquarters, it was very low cost. It's very kind of simple <laughs> and basic headquarters. I think they've had the same headquarters since, I don't even know, like 1970 or something like that. And um, you would have no idea that the largest egg company in the world is um, located where, where they are. Uh, and so you, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, you're just trying to 
um, sanity check this and see if see if what your kind of thesis it, it kind of makes it makes sense. Uh, and so I mean, and then you're just trying to go out and you're a business person. So after reading all the industry magazines and the 10Ks and the proxies and you know going visiting and talking to the company, you get out there. You go to if you're covering Walmart, you got to go look at Walmart. If you're looking at products, you know cereal you go look learn at the cereal i mean it, it's really kind of it's almost a peter lynch type of thing where you're kind of going and and reading and just learning more about what the businesses do and again there's no illusion that walking into a walmart makes you an expert on walmart but <laughs> it is this element of just learning wherever you know wherever you can and there's all kinds of clues hidden all around all around the world that you all around us that people aren't people don't think about so you know just to stick on the Calmain Foods example, you have every egg carton has a has a four digit. Often it's the letter P and then four digits um, by it, and then you can go. You can use that to go look it up what plant it came from. So wherever I go in the world, you know, you know, United States, I go look at and just look at every single number in the whole egg case, and you can look at okay. Sometimes in certain parts of the country, Calmain represents ninety percent of the the eggs in that area but you at a Walmart or something like that, but you would have no idea because they're all like the private label brands or the you know different different brands uh, for home builder green break partners. Uh, another name um, we own when, you know, in fall of 2018, they were a lot smaller than they were today. And so I went down to Dallas, which is kind of, which is their core market. And I visited over the span of a couple of days, I visited approximately around 20, 25% of their communities and just you can see almost all of their business uh, by talking to the salespeople and getting to know them and not getting to know them super well, but just kind of working through them, understanding the culture. And uh, it just, it adds a lot of color to all of the industry work and the SEC filing work um, that you're doing as well. I know other, other sectors, other people do things like going to physician doctor conferences, not, not held by Wall Street, but medical device conferences where you're going and talking to doctors or you're, you're, you're doing different things where you're trying to kind of put the, add the qualitative piece of it. Um, and so if you're at a conference and there's a line for a new product uh, for a medical device that has 30 doctors waiting in line to talk to the person, whereas another one that is empty you know, you're not going to make an investment solely because of that, but it, it does add color to your, as you're thinking about a, you know, about a company. Um, and then, so, yeah. And then, so, there, I mean, there's all kinds of different things. There, there's lots of, it's one of the parts of, about the job I, I love the most and why I, this is my career. I, I really, really enjoy the, just the learning and the doing the deep dive. So I've, you know, done all kinds of stuff, seen like a, you know, a chicken processing slaughter plant, a pork processing slaughter plant, going to see home building, um, you know, home builders out in the sticks and in Phoenix, you're going to, you know, fancy headquarters in, in Chicago, and you're just talking to management teams, and you're trying to put the pieces together on that qualitative, qualitative side. And at the end, I mean, then you, you value the business and you just try and figure out. And after all of that work of all the understanding and often, you know, that, that can take weeks or months to, to get a really good understanding of the business. It's not that difficult to think of common sense assumptions for like evaluation of a company. It doesn't take, it doesn't take that long to do, or, you know, you're not going to assume an egg company is going to grow at 15% a year, every year, you know, or you just, you just know the industries that, um, and so it's it's you just make reasonable assumptions in the valuation and 
you know, you, you write up, if you think it's a good idea, you're trading at a discount with a good margin of safety to your valuation after your work, you write it up and send it to the portfolio managers and then have the conversation around whether or not they should add it to their uh, portfolios. So uh, there's a, a strong focus on independent research and um, just thinking, trying to trying to balance the quantitative, like the accounting, the, you know, are there restatements? What's going on? What are their depreciation assumptions? That kind of thing with the qualitative. Is this, you know, does this company practice what they preach? Do they, you know, do they, are they opportunistic during downturns or do they, you know, go hide in the corner and not, not do anything? And just that keeping both of those in mind, um, while also, and then the, then the you working with the portfolio managers to give the portfolio managers the confidence for the psychological advantage when everyone else is selling, they feel confident in our work. We're not using third parties to, to get our confidence. We're doing, we're doing our work. And so when, you know, everything hits the fan and every, you know, everyone's selling, we can, we can step in and buy and kind of add that third piece of our, in my opinion, our, our competitive advantage in research together. So I would say overall, that's generally a summary and kind of a rough, I mean, it, it narrows it down quite a bit, but that's kind of a rough idea of, of uh, some of the different ways we go about researching, kind of think about that as an organization. Great insight, great insight. Uh, Micah Martin, Director of Research at Diamond Hill. Thank you for joining me once more on the podcast. Uh, your insights into the research process are, uh, have been fantastic and I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join me today. Thanks, Doug, always a pleasure. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.